Well, the SEC recently decided they're sticking with an eight-game conference schedule instead of nine like the rest of the industrialized world. So should the Pac-12 give it a look? We'll present both sides of that argument today. You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights free and beloved Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch the show. Rate, review us as well on Apple Podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash college, and when you enter promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE, they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti-style tumbler with every order. We get something for free that we like today as well. That's Chris Gordy, host of Locked On SEC. You can check him out on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts to talk about this uh, just calamity for fans, Southeastern Conference, more like Southeastern cowards. Am I right, everybody? That's how I see it. That's how I think most of America sees it, but the SEC has done this uh, anyway to stick with the eight-game conference schedule going forward. Uh, You may be able to tell I am not a fan, but Chris, when you heard the announcement for for the SEC doing this, your reaction was what? I wasn't the biggest fan of it. Um, You know, the the talk for months has been, all right, you know, 2025, Texas and Oklahoma are coming over, and when that happens, we're probably going to go to nine games, uh, then, you know, the rumor was, OK, we're, we think we're going to get a buyout here. We're going to ha- it's going to happen a year earlier. It's going to happen 2024. OK, great. Let's all get together. Let's discuss the plan. And kind of this, the talking point that has been going on for months was the SEC was going to go to nine games with uh, each team playing a permanent crossover uh, or three permanent crossovers. So you would keep three rivalry games for each school. The other six teams would rotate. And basically what would happen is every two years you would play everybody in the conference. And once every four years, you would go to, you know, uh, everybody's home. So, you know, when you look at the landscape of the SEC, you know, my wife is a Kentucky fan. We went to see LSU play Kentucky a couple years ago. LSU hadn't been there in a decade. Uh, Alabama just went down to the swamp in Florida a couple years ago. They hadn't been there in forever. Um, and Texas A&M has been in the SEC for, uh, what, 11 years now? Georgia has never been to Kyle Field. I mean, so it's just, if you're going to call yourself a conference, we all have to play each other. Like, we can't be this, like, ah, we just, we never play that team. Like, you have to have a rotation going. And so I thought the nine game with the three permanent set up perfect. Um, Some people disagree. And I think what it was, was there were some of those middling teams, like the Ole Misses, the Mississippi State, South Carolina, Uh, you know, South Carolina particularly, they're a team that plays Clemson every year as a non-conference Kentucky life loves their, um, you know, non-conference rivalry with Louisville. So, like, I think a lot of those teams look at it and say, well, look, if we're going to keep playing this tough, you know, Power 5 rivalry, we don't want to add another conference game and go to nine games. So, I think you had a big pushback on that. There were some other schools, LSU, A&M, they were on board. They are like, let's vote for the nine game. Uh, but it had gotten so far along that even, like, Brian Kelly – had like leaked out in interviews like, oh yeah, I think our three permanents are this. And then like 
Ross Bjork, the A&M athletic director, he was like, yeah, I think our three permanents are this. So, like, it, it the wheels already seemed to be in motion for this happening. But I think at the last minute, a lot of people started pump the, pumping the brakes. But ultimately, what I was told was just because a, a handful of teams got scared off and voted no, that was not the ultimate deciding factor in this. The ultimate deciding factor in the SEC sticking with eight games in 2024 was money. Um, back in 2020, the uh, SEC knew their their uh, contract with CBS. You know the big, C, you know 3:30 Eastern uh, SEC game of the week on CBS. Anyway, exactly. Welcome in. I'm 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 Brent Nussberger. You know here. You know whatever. It's all Vern Lundquist. Handoff to Brad Nessler. Brad Nessler. Yeah. Sorry. And then and Gary Danielson. Um, but you know, everybody hates them by the way, in the sec, like everybody thinks they're homers. Which, by the way, I don't understand. <laughs> you went from Vern Lundquist, literally one of the best to ever do it to Brad Nessler, absolute rock star. I think Danielson is great. I look forward to that game as a PAC 12 guy, literally every single week. I love hearing the music. I'm not going to be used to hearing that for a different conference going forward. Oh, I'm yeah. never, I'm never going to get used to that. I've never understood the Gary Danielson hate and I, and I never will anyway, continue. Well, get, yeah, I mean, get ready to watch Northwestern versus Maryland as the CBS game of the week. We'll all enjoy that one. But, you know, the timeline here is go back to early 2020. They, they were like, all right, this deal with CBS is up. They shopped it around. Disney stepped in and said, we want it. We will make the SEC game of the week. We won't do 2-30, 3-30. We'll go night game on ABC. We will make the SEC game of the week the night primetime game on ABC. If not, we'll put it on ESPN or ESPN2 and, of course, the SEC Network. But we want all the rights to every SEC game. The SEC says, okay, cool, let's do it. Greg Sankey's been a tremendous commissioner and has had a lot of great moments as a commissioner of the SEC. This deal... Uh, I think was one of his lower points. They did not put any clause in here. And all the discussion of, hey, conference expansion. Hey, we might add more teams. Hey, we might go from eight to nine games schedule, conference schedule at some point. They didn't do that. I thought they should have at least put a clause in there. So uh, a couple months ago, they go to e- Disney and ESPN and say, hey, look, um, we're thinking of going from nine ga- eight, nine, eight games to nine games. I know we have that $3 billion contract where you guys pay us $300 million annually for the next decade. Any chance we could up that a little bit? Because, you know, we're going from eight to nine. We're giving you guys a whole nother week of SEC games. We should get a little bit more money. And Disney was like, um, no, we're like firing people right now. Like we don't have, we're, mm. we're a little cash trapped ourselves. We're not going to pay for a whole nother week. And so ultimately what was relayed to me was that that is why the SEC said, you know what? We'll stick with eight games in 2024. We'll circle back with you, Disney, when you have more money. And maybe 2025 is when we expand. So, Look, I'm not avoiding the the subject. Were there some teams that were afraid to expand? Yes, absolutely. And those cowards should be cr- criticized. But on the flip side, ultimately, this was a business decision saying, if we're going to go from eight to nine, we deserve more money. And Disney and ESPN, a little cap strap, cash cap strap, whatever. Cash strapped, I think, sure. is the uh, phraseology that, that you're looking for there. So I, I understand it from from that standpoint. And this is why I've you know, long argued here on the show and will continue to be a a fan of having a centralized governing body in college football because the individual conferences and individual schools basically determining so much of the sport creates this weird, you know, mishmash of rules, games, schedules, priorities to where 
there isn't a significant punishment for Ohio State canceling a home-and-home home with Washington. Well, that was going to be Washington's biggest non-conference opponent next year in 2024 and in 2025. But Ohio State has got Texas on the on the docket as well, so they can do that. But but that puts Washington at a deficit, right? And then Washington doesn't get that game, which is a marquee matchup, right? When Oregon beat Ohio State in 2021, it was huge. It was, it was a huge, huge victory for, for the Ducks and for the Pac-12 writ large. And Michigan canceled a home-and-home home with UCLA. Those would have been great games. So it, it's a dis, it does a disservice to college football fans, which is my biggest objection. And it does a disservice, I think, to other conferences as well. Because an interesting note here, Chris, is that a nine-game playing conference for college football has never won a national championship. Now, I think there, there there's some coincidence that, that goes along with that. Abs- absolutely. But th- there's just so much to unpack with this sort of stuff and whether or not there's you know a, a real benefit to it for your conference and whether or not it plays into how how successful your conference can be come, come postseason time. But we can all be successful this summer if we go check out Bird Dogs because they make you look good. They feel good. They've got this great stretchability component. They've got tremendous versatility. You can wear them on a date. You can wear them at a barbecue. You can wear them swimming. You can wear them at the golf course, on a hike, on a walk, on a jog, riding bikes. Whatever you are doing this summer, whatever floats your boat, bird dog shorts are the way to do it. Their stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. And bird dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but fit way better they fit better than regular shorts as well because they're made of uh or they're not made of a stiff restricting cotton they've got this wonderful breathability to them as well so go to birddogs.com slash locked on college enter promo code locked on college for a free yeti style tumbler with your order that's birddogs.com slash locked on college for a free yeti style tumbler you won't want to take off your bird dogs shorts this summer we promise you so go get your next pair today Chris, I know you're uh, relatively new here. That's what we are calling the second segment sip to prevent mouth dryness and sore throatedness. We don't want to have all that sort of stuff. Got to give the best audio possible to the listeners and viewers who take time to patronize the show. And I appreciate all of you for doing just that. So talk about that component that I hinted at on the the previous side of the, the, the brief break there, Chris. Is the eight game schedule radically altering in your view a conference's ability to put a team into the four-team playoff as we've had it like if it had been a nine game do you think it would have shifted in a significant way the ACC's ability to put Clemson in or you know Florida State when they were undefeated or the SEC's ability to put in a variety of teams over the years I don't think so. Um, I think we get hung up on the number eight versus nine. And I've, I've seen even some big 10 people getting up in arms saying, oh, we we're, our schools play X amount of power five schools and the SEC, they play some FCS teams and all this. And I'm going, yeah, but who are those teams? The SEC overall has done a really good job uh, for most of the teams of going and scheduled tough non-conference opponents. I already talked about you know, some of the permanent rivalries that are in there. South Carolina plays Clemson every year. Ask them how they've enjoyed that the last decade. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like a lot of losses. Florida plays Florida State every year. and they Florida's kind of held the edge in that rivalry in recent years, but Florida State's starting to get good again, and that's one that kind of like 
they're looking at going, this kind of sucks playing them every year. Kentucky plays Louisville every year, and Kentucky's had the edge recently, but that's one, the Lamar Jackson years, Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, it's been a tough one for Kentucky. So, like, those are ones that are already built in. Georgia plays Georgia Tech. That one, we'll see if Georgia Tech ever turns it around, but obviously (laughs) on paper it looks like an easy one. But the SEC's done a phenomenal job of scheduling some tough, you know, supreme, right out of the gates, tough non-conference games. Look at Georgia. They opened last year with Oregon and Bo Nix week one. That was a huge feather in their cap. Two years ago, they they played a home-and-home with Clemson to to start the season. That was big. You know, LSU is in in Alabama. They've become synonymous with scheduling big, tough games out, out of the gates. And I even look as far to next year, Spencer. I look at 2024. These are some of the – this is just some of the non-conference games that the SEC has scheduled right now. Alabama goes to Wisconsin. Uh, LSU opens with USC in Las Vegas and plays a home game against UCLA. They get two Pac-12 teams that are soon to be Big Ten teams. I was going to say, by, by, by next year, they're going to be big. They're, that's, that's Big Ten. Los Angeles is Big Ten country, Chris. Right. Yet LSU voted yes to a nine-game conference. Brian Kelly is clinically insane if he wants to play USC, UCLA, and nine SEC games in that <laughs> um, Other ones that are happening next year. Texas A&M is playing Notre Dame. Vanderbilt's playing Virginia Tech. Uh, Tennessee's playing NC State. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Every SEC team has a pretty big, you know, tough game as a non-conference opponent um, that they've scheduled. And, and some play, too. Like, Florida's playing Miami and Florida State next year in addition to their SEC slate. So, I just say, I caution people if they look at, you know, let's say like Georgia and, and or, or let's just say Alabama. And they go, oh, Alabama, yeah, they played Texas last year, but they played Mercer. Okay, you want to take Mercer off and put Vandy on and make it, oh, they played a ninth conference game? Like to me, there's not a huge difference in that. It's not gonna it's not a potential pitfall for Alabama. So to me, it's always who are we talking about? You know, I look at Michigan, uh, which by the way, they play Texas has to go to Michigan next year. Texas first year in the SEC. You think they wanted nine conference games? They're like, we're gonna go play Michigan up in the big house. But like Michigan's one one look at their recent non-conference games. I mean, they, they're scheduling four you know, quote unquote, power five teams. But like, you know, if you go out and you schedule Indiana and, you know, I I don't know, like Wake Forest and like some of those teams. Yeah, you play Colorado from last year. Yeah, Colorado State. Okay, yeah, great. You're playing power five teams, but like. Well, Colorado State is G5 there in the Mountain West, but Colorado of last year wasn't even as good as most teams in the in the G5. Whatever. You get my point. Like not all power five teams are created equal. So. Like you put a big name, you know, a a quote unquote power five team on your schedule. Is that that much better than playing? I don't know. Eastern Washington, Western Kentucky, something like that. So that's where I just say, like, caution. If if you want to start a narrative that, oh, SEC doesn't play anybody. uh, They're playing eight eight conference games. Go look at what some of the SEC uh, teams have scheduled for next year uh, and what they've had in recent years in non-conference games. They are scheduling tough. And, And again, I think that pays off. I think Georgia will tell you. Playing Oregon at right out of the gates last year toughened them up immediately and got them ready for their conference slate. Yeah, they look like they really struggled with the Ducks down there in Atlanta. It was it was a, it was a tough one for Georgia. They had to think about it for like a quarter as to whether or not they were going to win the game by thirty or more points, and of course uh, they did. But so John Canzano, who who writes about the Pac-12 and has for a long time, and you know has been talking primarily about the realignment stuff, had an in- interesting take on. The, the the whole eight game schedule and basically what he wrote and I was in, in, intrigued by to say the least and I want your thoughts Chris is 
the SEC is not doing with this eight-game schedule what's in the best interest of college football fans, which is my objection. And, and, and I, I've long held the belief, and, and every dayers out there know that I say it routinely here on the show, the biggest issue in college football, by and large, is scheduling. Scheduling has got to be different. You need some sort of centralized entity to create uniform rules and regulations. Because I don't think it, it, it's fair for some conferences to have to play nine conference games and then the ACC and SEC get eight, and then they put those cupcake games late in the season, right? When their guys are banged up, you're battling injuries, then you can rest players, then you can kind of give them a week off. You know, they don't have to, you know, show up and, and play as hard. It's not as grueling, it's not as mentally tough, not as physically tough, and all that sort of stuff. And Kenzama's takeaway was, look, I, I don't like it. I, I think it's frustrating and not, you know, great for us who are consuming the product. But isn't this the conference looking out for the best interests of their own teams and their own members? Because us outsiders who are not in the SEC or ACC would say, yeah, those eight-game conference schedules stink. You have to play one last game against a Power 5 opponent. You get to play, and it's usually against like an FCS school sometimes. Now, now other schools, it, it's different, right? You mentioned the South Carolina and, and, and the Clemson thing or Florida, Florida State. There are exceptions to that. But what, what I take issue with, Chris, are the schools that get to play the Citadel in Week 10 or get to play Middle Tennessee or someone in Week 9. Right, right in the, when you're in the thick of the playoff hunt in the national championship chase, you get to just have this easy win. Like I don't think that that's a great thing for the sport writ large. But I do understand to your point and and to Kenzano's as well the logic of, hey, we're a conference, we get more money, and it's better for our business model if we get teams into the playoff. And clearly, what the SEC has been doing, there are other factors at play here. But it has been working in that regard. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that from a standpoint of okay, does you know do some of the SEC teams have a lesser opponent later in the schedule? Yeah, but nothing stopping the Big Ten or Pac-12 or other schools from doing that. I mean, it, you you most of most are set up right now. Like the Big Ten, I think is set up where you come out of the gates and you play your three non-conference, and then you go conference the rest of the way. Nothing says you have to do that. You could break it up. You, we could open with Michigan versus Michigan State week there, one. There, there, there are two Pac-12 schools that don't do it that way, and it's USC and Stanford because they play Notre Dame. Yeah, so, I mean, there you go. Now, and, again, they're choosing to play Notre Dame. USC could go schedule Army that week and be just fine. So I, I just I, I push back a little bit because, again, like, look, one, the SEC fans don't like those games. You think Bama fans like going to watch Bama play in Mercer? Or Auburn playing the Citadel in Week Ten? Like, yeah, that's nobody, my objection. That like nobody, it's, it's not fun to watch. Nobody wants to watch that. Don't enjoy it. But you know who does enjoy it? Nick Saban. Going, hey, we just went to the swamp, to Baton Rouge, uh, to you know, played Tennessee, and now we we get a little bit of a breather here to to play Mercer and put up stats. Um, I think they strategically do that. But again, like I just don't think adding an extra conference game. You you know what's going to happen is if. If the SEC goes to nine conference games as, as mandated, you're going to lose. Remember that slate I just ran through, those great non-conference games the SEC is playing next year? You're going to lose those because Alabama is going to go, why the hell do we want to go play at Wisconsin? We don't well, have to. I, well, well I, 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 don't think, I don't think you would necessarily have to just because you add another game because what, what, what I would argue for if I were ever so humbly elected college football commissioner and got to determine such matters, I would have it run like this. 
every conference plays nine conference games. And then for every Power 5 school, your non-conference has to include at least one Power 5 opponent. And then the other game should be a G5 opponent to give them an opportunity to compete with those schools. And then one game, you get one FCS because I am never going to advocate getting rid of buy games because those are essential for those schools. And I do think it's reasonable as well to have kind of a tune-up game, a freebie, you know, something like that. Like, I think all of that is good and fine. But that's how I would like to see it structured. And if you have these protected non-conference matchups like Clemson, South Carolina, and Florida and Florida State, that could serve as your Power 5 non-conference each year. Or if you wanted to do that and have another team, that could be up. That could be left up to the school and you could have two Power 5 non-conference opponents like Utah has this year with Florida and Baylor. Yeah, what, what, what had been proposed was even if the SEC was going to nine games is that Greg Sankey was going to hold firm to everyone must play one Power 5 opponent. Um, telling them you can't schedule two cupcakes I don't think that's going to get on board. And granted, a lot of SEC teams don't. But I think what you'll see is the the Kentuckys, the you know the Ole Misses, the Mississippi States. Like they look at those as you know. And, and let's be honest, most coaches are looking at going. I need to get to at least six and six to get bowl eligible and, and save my ass, like protect my job. So I think those coaches are never going to not think that way. I mean, because again, you're looking at if I already have a tough non-conference game that's a losable game and I'm going to nine conference games that's 10 brutally tough games for me right there with the two cupcakes it just makes it exponentially harder on those teams and you know I look at some of the teams that are playing nine conference games like look at Michigan's schedule this coming year Michigan plays Eastern East Carolina UNLV and Bowling Green out they're non-conference their non-conference is a joke and I've lamented that for months on the show probably since i started hosting about any time it has come up i still lament it because it's ridiculous and that's what i'm talking about is you 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 have too much power for these individual schools to set a non-conference schedule like that and it's like whoa whoa, whoa." so they they get to just cancel on ucla and deprive the bruins of the opportunity for a big time non-conference win and you're depriving fans who drive the entire sport by the way of the opportunity to see a quality matchup there. Nobody wins here except the individual schools, and I'm not a fan of, of, of the way that it that it always shakes out like that. And, and you know what's going to happen? I'm, I've been talking about this on my show, and I'm predicting it. Michigan is opening top four, preseason top four in almost every poll. And so they get to just sit there. That means they get to sit there. They get to run through their week schedule. And, okay, at Michigan State is their toughest game. But did you see Michigan State last year? <laughs> they weren't all that great. Uh, at Penn State is, is going to be tough as well. If they can win both of those, even if they lose to Ohio State in the last week, you know what they're going to go? Man, we just lost to a fellow top three team. We can't fall that far. Clearly, we're the best one-loss team in the country. We deserve to be in the playoff. And Michigan and Ohio State are going to find their way back into the playoff again. And it's it's a shame. I think we should – the voters listening to this should look at it and go, we should knock Michigan for not having a good non-conference. Totally agree. Reward. Totally we should agree. reward teams. Even if you lose a close non-conference game against a tough opponent, I'm willing to not ding you as bad as opposed to you going and beating up on yep. UNLV. We shouldn't reward that activity. So to your point, you know, when I look at the Michigans and say, you know, on paper, they're going to argue we're better than the SEC. We're playing nine conference games. Yeah, but you get Rutgers right out of the gate. Every SEC team would sign up right now to play Rutgers as a ninth conference game. So – you know, again, it's not all schedules are created equal. And again, this is the SEC kind of protecting their own ass and saying we got to, uh, 
you know, we, we got to do what's best for the conference overall. Yeah, and I, I understand that, but I don't think necessarily Pac-12 should should be making that move because I don't think that that's what's separating them from the conferences that that have won national championships and are getting to the playoff. And the Pac-12 struggled, struggles to get there consistently. They've been well-documented. Only two schools have ever made it, Oregon and, and Washington. They'll have a chance with a lot of different teams this year, but I, I, I do kind of get the sense the conference is just going to do what we always do, which is eat our own. That's that's the Pac-12 way, Chris, if you didn't know. But I want your thoughts to wrap up today's show on, on a perspective down in SEC country and kind of how the Pac-12 is viewed. The conference this year is going to be as good and as competitive as it has ever been. But still, there's going to be a gap between the teams at the top, right? Georgia, Alabama, maybe even LSU, I think, and the best teams in the Pac-12 at some level. How How is the Pac-12 kind of viewed down there in SEC country? And, you know, we, we, we've talked about the gap that's existed talent-wise for, for a long, long time. Is there a ready-made fix that, that you can see, Chris? Um, I like, I mean, look, the, the Pac-12 is going to have a lot of ranked teams coming out of the gates this year, and, and rightfully so. I think a lot of people look at what Lincoln Riley has been able to do at USC in such short order, um, and Caleb Williams is back. So obviously they, you know, a lot of people expecting them to at least compete for the, the Pac-12 title, if not win it. Uh, Washington, bringing back Michael Penix's you know, obviously the, the big reason why the people are high on them, Bo Nix back in Oregon. Um, I think it's all the quarterbacks that you look around and, and even Utah. Um, you know, it, it, it's Cam Rising is, you know, we saw was one of the most productive quarterbacks last year until he got hurt. So, um, yeah, I think there's reason to believe that all those teams are dangerous. And, you know, maybe you throw UCLA and Oregon State in the mix as well. Um, you know, down at the bottom, you got some other teams retooling. I do think uh, – the Dion thing changes Colorado a little bit just with the, the transfer portal talent he won there. I'm not saying they're going to win eight, nine games, but I think they could be a thorn in somebody's side and upset somebody they're not supposed to beat. Um, Arizona and Arizona State, I know they're kind of retooling and, and, and getting back uh, on track, but um, I think it's a pretty good conference. And I think because of all those quarterbacks this year, they should get, get garner some respect in uh, you know the national landscape. Now, after this year, you lose all those guys, Bo Nix, uh, Caleb Williams, Panic, Panix, Rising. They'll Cam all be rising. gone. Yeah, so it's it'll you know maybe the Pac-12 takes a step back overall, and of course you'll lose USC and UCLA. But uh, I think this it sets up that there are some dangerous teams out that way. And like you said, is is the factor of they're going to start canceling each other out. You know, uh, USC. I mean, everybody and their brother was on them to win the Pac-12 title game, and. Uh, Lo and behold, we know how that one played out. So, um, you know, can can Lincoln Riley avoid those pitfalls and run the table and be the Pac-12's hope to get to the playoff and make a run? We'll see. But also, we've seen what happens when Lincoln Riley gets to the playoff. It doesn't go very well. So, not not, not historically, not yet. But he hasn't had Caleb Williams. He did have Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield, and especially yeah. Kyler. Those are Jalen Hurts uh, uh, too. Yeah, yeah, Jalen Hurts. Those guys have turned out to be pretty. Pretty darn good. But I think from a quarterback standpoint, the Pac-12 is the best league in the country, Chris. But I don't think it's the overall best in in the country. When you're talking about, you know, having superior quarterback talent in the conference top to bottom, do you think the portal is a way, you kind of hinted at it with Dion for the Pac-12 
to work to close that talent gap that is, you know, long been perceived and I think has often existed between between the SEC and the PAC? I think where the biggest difference I see in the Pac-12 to the SEC is, and, and this has been a way, this way for, for several years now, is the trench play. Um, you know, it's not to say that that the Pac-12 doesn't put big-time offensive linemen, you know, have NFL talent. We know Panay Sewell from Oregon, uh, USC back in the Pete Carroll days. I mean, they were cranking out defensive linemen and offensive linemen to the NFL. And they just sent Elijah Vera Tucker to the Jets. Voorhees is going to the NFL, but I see yeah. the point you're making. There's been some guys, but I think collectively top to bottom, uh, the SEC in the trenches, offensive and defensive line, just has a little bit more dominance there. Yeah, I mean, does Bo Nix productive at Auburn, productive at Oregon? Sure. Uh, you know, Jaden Daniels, productive at Arizona State, productive at LSU. I think some of the quarterbacks can be interchangeable, but what's in front of them, and then what's what are they going up against as far as the defensive lines? I just think they're big, bigger and um, you know, deeper uh, across the SEC. Can the Pac-12 get there? Sure. You just got to recruit well, and there's plenty of talent out on the West Coast and in, in California and all that. But, uh, yeah, to me, that would be just the, the biggest. You know, I go back to, you know, when I was in school, LSU played Oregon. And I'll never forget Sam Montgomery slapping the turf at, at, at in Jerry's world in Dallas where they just had no answer. That offensive line for Oregon couldn't stop LSU's D-line. And it's just there's been moments like that through the years that we look at and go, yeah, there's a little bit of talent discrepancy there. Chris Gordy, the host of Locked on SEC on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Chris, thanks so much. Anytime, Spencer. I appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. That'll be tomorrow. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.